Section thirteen of Chesterfield's Letters to His Son. Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Letter twenty seven. London, February ninth, Old Style, seventeen forty eight. Dear boy, you will receive this letter not from a secretary of state, but from a private man, for whom, at his time of life, quiet was as fit and as necessary as labor and activity are for you at your age, and for many years yet to come. I resigned the seals last Saturday to the king, who parted with me most graciously, and, I may add, for he said so himself, with regret. As I retire from hurry to quiet, and to enjoy at my ease the comforts of private and social life, you will easily imagine that I have no thoughts of opposition, or meddling with business. Otium cum dignitate is my object. The former I now enjoy, and I hope that my conduct and character entitle me to some share of the latter. In short, I am now happy, and I found that I could not be so in my former public situation. As I like your correspondence better than that of all the kings, princes, and ministers in Europe, I shall now have leisure to carry it on more regularly. My letters to you will be written, I am sure, by me, and I hope read by you with pleasure, which I believe seldom happens, reciprocally, to letters written from and to a secretary's office. Do not apprehend that my retirement from business may be a hindrance to your advancement in it, at a proper time. On the contrary, it will promote it, for having nothing to ask for myself, I shall have the better title to ask for you. But you have a still surer way than this of rising, and which is wholly in your own power. Make yourself necessary, which with your natural parts you may, by application, do. We are in general in England ignorant of foreign affairs, and of the interests, views, pretensions, and policy of other courts. That part of knowledge never enters into our thoughts, nor makes part of our education, for which reason we have fewer proper subjects for foreign commissions than any other country in Europe, and when foreign affairs happen to be debated in Parliament, it is incredible with how much ignorance. The harvest of foreign affairs being then so great, and the laborers so few, if you make yourself master of them, you will make yourself necessary, first as a foreign, and then as a domestic minister for that department." I am extremely well pleased with the account which you give me of the allotment of your time. Do but go on so, for two years longer, and I will ask no more of you. Your labors will be their own reward, but if you desire any other, that I can add, you may depend upon it. I am glad that you perceive the indecency and turpitude of those of your common so, who disgrace and foul themselves with dirty whores and scoundrel gamesters, and the light in which, I am sure, you see all reasonable and decent people consider them, will be a good warning to you. Adieu. Letter 28. London, February 13th, Old Style, 1748. Dear boy, your last letter gave me a very satisfactory account of your manner of employing your time at Leipzig. Go on so, but for two years more, and I promise you that you will outgo all the people of your age and time. I thank you for your explanation of the Schriftsassen and Amtsassen, and pray let me know the meaning of the Lansassen. I am very willing that you should take a Saxon servant, who speaks nothing but German, which will be a sure way of keeping up your German after you leave Germany. But then, I would neither have that man, nor whom you have already, put out of livery, which makes them both impertinent and useless. I am sure, that as soon as you shall have taken the other servant, your present man will press extremely to be out of livery, 
and valet de chambre, which is as much to say, that he will curl your hair and shave you, but not condescend to do anything else. I therefore advise you never to have a servant out of livery, and though you may not always think proper to carry the servant who dresses you abroad in the rain and dirt, behind a coach or before a chair, yet keep it in your power to do so, if you please, by keeping him in livery. I have seen Monsieur and Madame Fleming, who gave me a very good account of you, and of your manners, which, to tell you the plain truth, were what I doubted of the most. She told me that you were easy and not ashamed, which is a great deal for an Englishman at your age. I set out for Bath to-morrow for a month, only to be better than well, and enjoy in quiet the liberty which I have acquired by the resignation of the seals. You shall hear more from me at large from thence. And now, good-night to you. Letter 29. Bath. February 18th, Old Style, 1748. Dear boy, the first use that I made of my liberty was to come here, where I arrived yesterday. My health, though not fundamentally bad yet, for want of proper attention of late, wanted some repairs, which these waters never fail giving it. I shall drink them a month, and return to London, there to enjoy the comforts of social life, instead of groaning under the load of business. I have given the description of the life that I propose to lead for the future in this motto, which I have put up in the frieze of my library in my new house. Nuc veterum libris, nunc somno, et inertibus oris, docere solicite jacunda oblivia vitas. I must observe to you upon this occasion that the uninterrupted satisfaction which I expect to find in that library will be chiefly owing to my having employed some part of my life well at your age. I wish I had employed it better, and my satisfaction would now be complete. But, however, I planted while young that degree of knowledge which is now my refuge and my shelter. Make your plantations still more extensive. They will more than pay you for your trouble. I do not regret the time that I passed in pleasures. They were seasonable. They were the pleasures of youth, and I enjoyed them while young. If I had not, I should probably have overvalued them now, as we are very apt to do what we do not know. But knowing them as I do, I know their real value, and how much they are generally overrated. Nor do I regret the time that I have passed in business, for the same reason. Those who see only the outside of it, imagine it has hidden charms, which they pant after, and nothing but acquaintance can undeceive them. I, who have been behind the scenes, both of pleasure and business, and have seen all the springs and pulleys of those decorations which astonish and dazzle the audience, retire, not only without regret, but with contentment and satisfaction. But what I do, and ever shall regret, is the time which, while young, I lost in mere idleness and in doing nothing. This is the common effect of the inconsideracy of youth, against which I beg you will be most carefully upon your guard. The value of moments when cast up is immense, if well employed. If thrown away, their loss is irrecoverable. Every moment may be put to some use, and that with much more pleasure than if unemployed. Do not imagine that by the employment of time I mean an uninterrupted application to serious studies. No, pleasures are, at proper times, both as necessary and as useful. They fashion and form you for the world, they teach you characters, and show you the human heart in its unguarded minutes. But then remember to make that use of them. I have known many people, from a laziness of mind, go through both pleasure and business with equal inattention, neither enjoying the one nor doing the other, thinking themselves men of pleasure because they were mingled with those who were, 
and men of business, because they had business to do, though they did not do it. Whatever you do, do it to the purpose, do it thoroughly, not superficially. Approfondisez. Go to the bottom of things. Anything half done or half known is, in my mind, neither done nor known at all. Nay, worse, it often misleads. There is hardly any place or any company where you may not gain knowledge, if you please. Almost everybody knows some one thing, and is glad to talk upon that one thing. Seek and you will find in this world as well as in the next. See everything, inquire into everything, and you may excuse your curiosity, and the questions you ask which otherwise might be thought impertinent, by your manner of asking them, for most things depend a great deal upon the manner. As, for example, I am afraid that I am very troublesome with my questions, but nobody can inform me so well as you, or something of that kind. Now that you are in a Lutheran country, go to their churches, and observe the manner of their public worship, attend to their ceremonies, and inquire the meaning and intention of every one of them. And as you will soon understand German well enough, attend to their sermons, and observe their manner of preaching. Inform yourself of their church government, whether it resides in the sovereign, or in consistories and synods. Whence arises the maintenance of their clergy, whether from tithes, as in England, or from voluntary contributions, or from pensions from the state. Do the same thing when you are in Roman Catholic countries. Go to their churches, see all their ceremonies, ask the meaning of them, get the terms explained to you. As, for instance, prime, terce, sext, nones, matins, angelus, high mass, vespers, complines, etc. Inform yourself of their several religious orders, their founders, their rules, their vows, their habits, their revenues, etc. But when you frequent places of public worship, as I would have you go to all the different ones you meet with, remember that, however erroneous, they are none of them objects of laughter and ridicule. Honest error is to be pitied, not ridiculed. The object of all the public worships in the world is the same. It is that great eternal being who created everything. The different manners of worship are by no means subjects of ridicule. Each sect thinks its own is the best, and I know no infallible judge in this world to decide which is best. Make the same inquiries, wherever you are, concerning the revenues, the military establishment, the trade, the commerce, and the police of every country. And you would do well to keep a blank paper book, which the Germans call an album, and there, instead of desiring, as they do, every fool they meet with to scribble something, write down all these things as soon as they come to your knowledge from good authorities. I had almost forgotten one thing, which I would recommend as an object for your curiosity and information, that is, the administration of justice, which, as it is always carried on in an open court, you may, and I would have you, go and see it with attention and inquiry. I now have but one anxiety left, which is concerning you. I would have you be, what I know nobody is, perfect. As that is impossible, I would have you as near perfection as possible. I know nobody in a fairer way toward it than yourself, if you please. Never were such pains taken for anybody's education as for yours, and never had anybody those opportunities of knowledge and improvement which you have had, and still have, I hope, I wish, I doubt, and fear alternately. This only I am sure of, that you will prove either the greatest pain or the greatest pleasure of yours. End of section 13. Read by Professor Heather and By. For more free audiobooks or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org.